baseball season is right around the corner. And each week, Baseball Perspectives brings you a suite of podcasts to cover the sport from all angles. Editor-in-Chief Craig Goldstein is joined twice a week by Bradford William Davis and Emma Bachelieri, covering five mostly baseball topics on our flagship show, Five and Dive. If you are a fantasy baseball player, whether redraft or dynasty, roto or head-to-head, the BP Fantasy team has you covered with Flags Fly Forever, and there is no off-season. Stephen Goldman's Infinite Inning combines stories from baseball history and interviews with the writers of today. And our prospect podcast, Three Quarters Delivery, takes a deep dive into our prospect team's evaluation process. Just search for the Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts. a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. And, and that's remarkable. Alex, I have a question for you. As always, listeners, welcome to Tipping Pitches, where Bobby interviews me. <laughs> 20 minutes before we interview a real person who thinks about <laughs> baseball in an intelligent way. No, yes. this week... Hit me with your question. This week, I want to know, how much money do you think that we could raise with the Tipping Pitches listeners to buy a crypto blockchain NFT of painting of Alex Rodriguez kissing himself in the mirror? We own the photo of Alex Rodriguez kissing himself in the mirror. How much money do you think we could raise for that? I would say at least at, at least like 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah. You know? Yes. I, I'm willing I, to meet. <laughs> if it's only 50 bucks, I'm willing to match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, there, there are going to be other bidders out there, right? So that price is only going to go up. You know, I know that there are people out there who will spend thousands of dollars I, for for that, I mean, that, that's going for like $10 million with the way that it's going these days. So what is something that you think that we could get of Alex Rodriguez's career that is cheaper then? Because we don't have that kind of cash flow. We have deal flow, are, not, not cash flow, not one cash or the other. It's, so it's are, are, we still, are we still thinking NFTs, though? This is some sort of digital memorabilia? Yeah, I don't, I don't traffic in physical memorabilia anymore. It's 2021. The physical says, doesn't after, matter after, to me. After bragging about the amount of jerseys he's bought this offseason. <laughs> <laughs> it's two jerseys. No, it's one, one jersey, I think. Only one jersey. Wait, Lindor. Tatis and Lindor. Tatis was during the season last year. I wore it precisely one time. Hey, there you go. That's some ROI. But you it's better... Return on in- investment. It's still in mint condition. Ooh, shit. What's the resale value on that? Unlike my... 2002 David Wright Topps baseball card, which I wore that thing out, showing it to everybody I know. Check out this. <laughs> no, what is something that we can purchase? What's the NFT of Alex Rodriguez that we could get? I suppose it doesn't have to be of Alex Rodriguez. I would just assume that you would want it to be of Alex Rodriguez. Right. Well, I, the obvious answer is quite literal stock in his company that just went public. That's not an NFT though. Come on. N- okay, not technically we're an tr- NFT. We're but trying also to get NFTs into are, the wave. Are, yeah, dude. I don't know. Could we get like like one of his YouTube videos, like the original upload? Right. 
I don't it, know though. It because can't even be, it can't even be like a popular video, you know. Like it's got to be something <laughs> like three the or obvious 4, answer views. is if we were to buy the the quote that we use as the outro of this podcast. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll right. see you next week. Yeah. See ya. No, well, we can't do that because it seems as though the way that the NFTs are heading, and we're going to talk about this in a bit, is that. MLB is licensing out content that they own. That's the way that the NBA Top Shot is working. So it's like has to come from a broadcast. And if you think about it, Alex Rodriguez, obvious Hall of Famer, if not for the PEDs, amazing career, incredible accomplishments, one of the best hitters, literally, who's ever played baseball. I don't really think of that many moments of his career when I think about him. It's all post-career for me. <laughs> That's, that is true. I like, mean, name, in large... name A-Rod's biggest moment. What is it? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> Not something that we should expose on this podcast. That we actually have no idea what Alex Rodriguez did on the field. No, I know what he did on the field. I was the, at the I game know. that he broke Willie Mays's or he passed Willie Mays on the home run leaderboard. Like he did All right. stuff. All right, flex, flex on us. Bobby. Free game through NYU. I went through NYU. <laughs> gifted opportunities. Yeah, he 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 did stuff. I mean, that brings up a really interesting point about you know, baseball in general baseball as a marketable product in that I think when you think about stars, you think more about the their careers as a whole, right? You think about Alex Rodriguez as not necessarily having a single moment that defined him, but as, you know, having 650 home runs or whatever he, whatever it is. I don't actually know the number, right? I, when I, when I look back on Mike Trout's career, I'm, I'm not going to be able to say, there, yes, this one moment stood out in part because those are usually playoff moments, which <sighs> few and far between so far. <laughs> um, yeah, this is part of why NFT is, is a really interesting move for MLB, but we're going to talk about that in a second. Before we do, and before we bring in Jenny Searle of Baseball Prospectus to complete our preseason preview talking about what we would do uh, or what guests would do rather in the first 100 days as commissioner if they had a magic wand to wave um i am bobby wagner and i am alex Baisley, and you are listening to tipping pitches i think i'd be willing to sell the original audio files of this podcast to any listeners who want it is that how it works like I, I send them the MP3. I don't even know if I have the original MP3s anymore. Yeah, that's that's true. That's not true. I uh, maniacally archive all of the things that have yeah, they, to do with this podcast. Just so you know, and just so the <laughs> listeners know, I'm I'm a wonderful producer in that way. Uh, very organized. That's how I would describe tipping pitches. Very organized. No, <laughs> let's talk about NFTs because I have a take that may may reveal me as kind of a boomer. Do you? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. What's the appeal? I I don't either. I as I, someone who very clearly appreciates things in the physical world, as I've argued for jerseys many times on this podcast, and I've argued for going to baseball games in person many times on this podcast. What is the appeal? I feel like we're getting so far removed from the fucking point here. We're playing <laughs> baseball, man. I'm just there to hang out. I, you know? Yeah. Go off, King. Uh, I wanna. I wanna have this conversation, but I want to rewind a little bit because I, my guess sure. is we have already lost some listeners by using the phrase NFT over and over again. Which Back to A-Rod. I, 
What is an NFT? Why are we even talking about it? Well, as it relates to baseball. Yeah, okay. Set lay the groundwork. So, so this past week, um the members from the, the MLB's front office, you know, media, tech Major League Baseball executives. That's how they were identified in the stories. Chief okay, Operations and go. Strategy Officer Chris yeah. Marinek. Name Absolutely. that's never been uttered on this podcast and never chief, will be again. Chief product officer. Oh, we love to see that. That's you. You're um, the chief product officer of tipping pitches, by the way. You make right. the shirts. That's true. You Our, design the shirts. You're chief product officer. Would that make you operations and strategy? Because you, I record the podcast, which is the main operation that we do. And I strategically make sure that it sounds very good. <laughs> exactly. So these executives held a call this week. I want to be chief creative. <laughs> We'll talk about this off pod. So these executives held a, a a call this week to outline and preview their technology and quote unquote innovation and fan engagement initiatives uh, for the upcoming season. And it involved a lot of things. And was one of we'll, those things figuring out how to make uh, MLB TV play on any of their platforms? Well, okay. So they let me let me outline what they have outlined, which is their the four pillars to their technological innovation. Okay, okay. first off, personalize all of its digital products. Yes, I, I I don't I don't really know why because I I don't need a personalized baseball experience. I in fact I I'd be very fine with my baseball experience being like everyone else's in the stands next to me. But I, <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, second, modernize the venue experience. Wait, you left out the part where you probably have to sell your privacy to them in order to get that personalized <laughs> right, experience, right? Exactly, and give them your like location so and they cookies, can, yes, cookies exactly. dating back to two thousand nine. <laughs> modernize the venue experience for convenience and safety. That okay? Into it on board modern stadiums yeah, except like their vision of modernizing the stadiums is like put put scooters that you can rent to ride around the concourse right exactly wear this vr headset and act like you're on the field with the players um <laughs> third oh i laugh because they definitely are gonna try that i die no yes absolutely third attract younger audiences through gaming and fan communities mm-hmm. i'm kind of unclear on what that means so i don't i don't i don't have much commentary i think that's like be more involved in when people play mlb the show on twitch hell yeah man just blake snell being shoved down our throats at every possible turn i support rob manfred playing against blake snell on twitch absolutely can you imagine just make it happen manfred like unfiltered It actually would not be as interesting as I think it would be in my head. New podcast coming next month, presented by Tipping Pitches, Rob Manfred, unfiltered. And a part interview series with the baseball commissioner that everybody thinks they know. (laughs) The last of their pillars is create new, differentiated ways to consume a sport. What does that mean? What, What does that mean? Do you hear that? That's the sound of millions of baseball fans... Wondering if this will actually mean they'll be able to watch games on MLB TV. Look at that. Yeah. My first thought is new and differentiated ways to watch the sport. How about we figure out how to watch it the first time, the first way, which is with my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) This definitely means like, this definitely means like they're going to launch, you know, a new Twitter or uh, uh, they're going to launch a new Instagram account. That's like house of highlights, but for baseball. 
And they're going to be like, this is a new and differentiated way to watch our sport. More games broadcast on Twitter, things like that, right? Like put them in weird places where if you're there, you actually probably already have a decent amount of access to the game already. But I support, I mean, the YouTube TV, the YouTube free watch thing, it's it's fine. Like I support it if they were actually going to roll that out in a serious way and not just randomly choose a game here and there and never make it a, a high priority game and never make it a game that like a right. lot of people actually want to watch. Uh, so if they want to do that, then that's great. Make the content free and available for anybody to watch. But it, the, the other shooter drop with that is always, and now go sign up for MLB TV where you won't probably won't be able to watch this game because you'll be blacked out from it. Like do differentiate the ways to watch the games. Okay. Are you also going to have new and differentiated ways to stop me from watching these new and differentiated streams of content? Yeah. I, I think the idea of, of different differentiated ways of, of watching baseball is like, I, we don't need to differentiate just I mean, like you said, why don't we just base level start off? Can everyone watch it right now? Nope. That's many people cannot, it, despite you offering a product that is supposed to democratize that process. Can I read you a quote from this article that we're now pulling from, which is which we'll link to in the description. It's on sporttechie.com. Yes, please do. It's really accelerated our vision to fully digitize and build a smart, par- smart ballpark, says MLB Chief Product Officer Vasanth Williams. We recognize we are not where we need to be when it comes to the ballpark experience. Good place to start. Our, starting by the fact that you can't get in if you don't have a lot of money. <laughs> and when you're there, you can't eat, despite the fact that it's uh, a game being played through dinner time. Our goal is to really merge the physical and digital experiences of fans, creating this magical experience that is easy, fun, personalized, and creates lifelong memories. That's the holy grail of what we want to do at the ballpark. Alex, your thoughts? Oh, Jesus Christ. Smart Ticket park. prices are about to fucking double, dude. Coming to Disney Plus next month, Smart Park. <laughs> the follow-up to Smart House. That worked out so well. Yeah, you get you get the, the VR headset when you walk in the stadium. Um, you can, I mean, I mean, betting, honestly, is going to be a big pillar of this, right? Yeah. Just being mm-hmm. able to, you know, pull up your phone and let's, let's bet on the game. Uh, even though this, for some reason, was a, a a weird hill that we were dying on for years, that this, you know, the sport was too pure for that. Yeah, not like I would ever call for justice for Pete Rose because he's a scumbag. But <laughs> I mean, also, <laughs> for talking like ethics here, <laughs> um, not even gonna comment on that. Just gonna say what I was gonna say. Please. Uh, here's the thing, and this ties back to my NFTs thing as well. Which we haven't even described what it is yet, but I will in a second. Of course, of course, of course. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm just using like my biased personal opinion about the world and baseball specifically. But I kind of feel like when the pandemic is over and people are able to go and enjoy things in a physical space with other people again, they're going to want to go and enjoy things in a physical space. And it's almost like they're going to feel a little bit of nostalgia for a thing that you can participate in actively a lived and shared experience. and this kind of misses that. And maybe they're thinking long-term, like beyond just the next five years when people might want to go back and do stuff because they lost a year and a half of their lives. Maybe they're thinking like, this is the way that everything is heading. 
And I get it. Like the NBA is doing stuff like this too with VR opportunities to consume the game with stats or whatever, or to like to have a broadcast option where you can just follow along one player and like have that experience. But all of that stuff seems like bells and whistles on a car that needs a new transmission. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're putting cool rims on the car, but how much further can the car even drive if the transmission is about to fall out from underneath it? And that's where we're at right now. The transmission is, can I turn on MLB TV and watch a bunch of teams? Or am I going to, because I live in Ohio, have to watch the Marlins every night? (laughs) Like, that's a huge (laughs) problem. And, I mean, the NFTs thing is slightly separate, but sort of relating to my point of, I want real things back in my life. Like, I want to be able to, to, to see things happening in front of me in real physical spaces. I guess for lack of a better word. Um, it's smart for them to like get into it. And and we're talking about the idea of like NBA Top Shot, MLB trying to get into this marketplace where, you know, similar to how you collect baseball cards, people are collecting videos, highlights, moments where you own on a on the blockchain, you own a video. And though there are many copies of that video on the internet, you own the original copy of it licensed to you out right. licensed authentic- out to you authenticated by major league baseball saying right. we have there we have put you know one of these or 10 of these out in the world that are you know 10 2460p whatever like you know looks all beautiful on your computer and you officially have one of the 10 that exist right like you own the willie mays catch you know right. like the real one that like mlb said this is the real one Mm-hmm. I think a, say what you want about like whether or not that matters to you and whether that's worth spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think I guess it makes sense for MLB to get into this market since it's exploding for the NBA right now. And there are plenty of other places for you to go find out why it's doing that in the NBA. Uh, we'll link to a good article about it in the description. But I guess my point is that they're sort of putting the cart in front of the horse here with all of this digital in- innovation. And it's just because the obvious answers actually might dip into the revenue and these other answers are like they see it as various revenue streams to add to the revenue right exactly i mean the the nba is and the players association are making copious amounts of money or or will be making copious amounts of money kind of as top shot continues to grow if it continues to grow uh could be a bubble right and you know we're we're all back to where we started in six weeks but like just like the podcasting bubble which <laughs> once it bursts no one's even going to hear what we're talking about here no one's going to why want to buy the original mp3s once the podcasting bubble bursts on us alex right I, it is a it is a money maker right and it's definitely a way to get people engaged in the game in like actual moments of the game in a really different way so I think I can't dismiss it outright, even though every fiber in my body is like wants to rebel against this sort of thing because it's <laughs> it is like it's uber rich people creating platforms for people who want to be uber rich to trade their money around. I like the, I mean it's it is the stock market essentially, right? These are yes. these eventually these essentially become investment tools, right? You buy the Willie Mays catch. 
And the week later, it's appreciated in value by 50%. And you turn it on around and make a profit. And that's fine, right? The the physical trading card economy business has resurged in, in, in that in that way. Yeah, in recent years, in recent months. So it's gonna be there. I've it probably is not gonna affect you or me. I wonder if I wonder if any of those profits are gonna go back onto the field. What do you think? Hmm. Well, why don't we just wait until our interview with Paul Dolan next week and ask him? Mm, that's a good idea. He'll probably come on. I want to talk about that, right? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. of course not. No, of course. I mean, the MLBPA will get the cut that they negotiate uh, in order to license out these highlights because they are the people in them. And the MLB owners will probably end up getting more from it because they have the leverage to say no to it. They have the leverage to kill the deal. So, Anything that the PA gets is a gravy, and the owners are like, well, we're already financially sound, way more financially sound than the players are, despite the fact that we're talking about you know, degrees of separation removed in terms of economic soundness from you and I. But still, like, I, I'm sure that they're thinking of this as something that's like going to catalyze them into the future of what it's going to be like to be a sports league in this country and in the world. And it's just not. Like, it's not this is not the silver bullet. If there was a silver bullet other than like biting it a couple years and building sustainably, then like other leagues would have found it out, but there's not. So like, you know how you grow the, the, you know how you grow the popularity of a sport in a country or you get back some of the popularity of the sport in a country, let people play, let people watch. And then trust that like your sport is cool enough, which here we are, you and I telling people that it is cool enough. But what about digital bobbleheads, Bobby? Where does that fit into your vision? Like Neopets? <laughs> actually, actually, you know what? I think it would be cool, actually. This is a thing that MLB has dabbled in. There are... MLB has licensed some bobbleheads, some digital bobbleheads that are basically effectively NFTs that have sold for thousands of dollars. Um, this is a couple years ago. And I think they have scaled that back and are obviously teasing that something closer to this NBA top shot model. So we'll see. But it, I don't, you know, I don't need a, a disrupted Major League Baseball, you know, <laughs> like no one's, no one's, no one's asking for that. I just want my team to be good. Yeah. You know what works? Taxis. <laughs> exactly. I mean, City buses. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes me think of, I, th- I think it was the author Corey Doctorow, I believe, who said of tech people, stop trying to build worse trains. Yeah. You know, like the, the product already exists. It's there. You should make it more accessible. You should streamline it. You should do whatever, but you don't need to augment it in a way that just changes the experience for people because people have already bought in, right? You already have a massive fan base that is like, that is there. So if you talk about wanting to grow the game, I mean, and you know, maybe they're not saying that this will grow the game, right? That might not be the language that comes out about it. It just feels like kind of a weird arm that Major League Baseball wants to grow because it's, you know, it's hot right now. If, If the NBA has it. So does MLB, man. Our our vision to see uh, MLB slowly become the NBA is coming to fruition. 
Yeah, but you have to know that you're going to open yourself up for criticism when there are such big problems rooted in the fact that like you have sequestered so much of the game via technology these days. Yeah. Like yeah. you you have to know that you're going to catch flack for that on podcasts like ours, but in other places that matter more in conversations amongst fans. Like if you want to make a fan by them getting into the NFT game, that's cool, but like what are they going to think when they when they come and they're like, "Oh, I bought this cool highlight because my dad loved, you know, my dad was a huge Willie Mays fan. I bought the Willie Mays catch. I'm also Jeff Bezos if I can afford the Willie Mays catch or whatever. <laughs> but you get the point. I, my dad was a huge Willie Mays fan. I bought the Willie Mays catch. Let me go check out what the Giants are doing these days. I live in San Francisco. Oh, wait, I can't watch them. Like what? Like, right. Oh, I right. have to get or, cable to watch them. Weird. Yeah, right. Or, I mean, it's also... As we said before, it's radically different from the way that plays exist in the NBA's ecosystem, right? Like, I hope you're not, you don't buy the Willie Mays catch and then expect to see that every inning because <laughs> it's it's not going to happen. I'm just telling you that right now. Ground ball Joe Panic. How much does that sound for? We could afford <laughs> that one. Actually, that might be the answer to the question that I asked you at the top. You know, that might appreciate and value. Did A-Rod ever ground out to Joe Panic? Because that's the one that we need to buy. We might need to get into the NFT game just for that. That's a good idea. I think once we uh, get off this recording, we should go and and find that clip. And that should be our first first target acquisition. Okay. Yeah, we're becoming moguls right in front of our listeners' very ears. Uh, Okay, well, we were going to do a couple voicemails, but we've already taken a lot of time up talking about NFTs. And we don't want to bury this great conversation with Jenny Searle any further. So... We're going to do open season voicemails after that conversation. And let's just jump right into our conversation with Jenny Searle of Baseball Perspectives. Okay, Bobby, we are back for the third installment, third and final installment of our of our not-so-season preview uh, series. And, uh, and we're bringing it home with Jenny Searle associate editor editor at Baseball Prospectus, and self-proclaimed baseball anarchist. Hello, Ginny. Hi. Um, that was actually one of our former editors, Colin, who uh, is no longer with BP, who called me a baseball anarchist, but uh, I do like it. <laughs> How are you guys? We're doing okay. I think we actually want to start there. What, what exactly is a baseball anarchist? Because I'm curious. It's not self-proclaimed, as you said, but what did Colin mean, <laughs> and how have you sort of uh, embodied uh, that title. I think how that came up was just, we were trying to figure out what everyone's kind of vibe in the editor's chat was. Um, just kind of what we brought to the table. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I'm well known for my stance that time is fake. Uh, okay. I love good. it. <laughs> Our stance here is that money is fake. So we got it all covered. Yeah. We, like, we were talking about um, about spring training before we started recording and how long it lasts. So for you, it must just be interminable, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, or the well, blink of an eye. Who knows, right? Well, it was, you know, I with how late transactions ran, and that's one thing I always pay attention to. I feel like it was easy to just tune out the beginning of spring training in favor of everyone getting their one year $2.5 million with incentives deal. Um, <laughs> and I think it was just fun to kind of see those happen just although it kind of sucks to see the money happen it is kind of interesting to see the absolute inverse of how it happens in other sports where the top free agents sign at the beginning now right. you see everyone kind of 
the teams you actually get to see, okay, who's going to fill in the center field at bats for the Brewers or something or uh, something like that. And so I think it was kind of fun to see how the teams came together, but yeah, spring training, uh, I know it's interesting for the people who are there as you see every year, including this one, but on TV, I don't know. I'm, I, I tune out. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm excited to hear your version of Baseball Anarchy once we get into the actual segment that we've brought you here for, which is what would you do in your first 100 days of commissioner with full, complete reign? But before we get to that, I want to kind of ask you, how have you been processing this offseason, looking at you know signings? You mentioned um, how, how different it is in baseball than other sports, which we agree with. But uh, I guess I'm just curious in like, what has been the big thing that you've been following this offseason, you know, coming off of a very weird season of 60 games and heading back into a full season? What are you looking forward to most and what has kind of surprised you? You know, I think obviously the easiest way to try to sort an offseason is who improved the most and who is best set up for the next season. And while it's always good to look that way, I think this offseason really allowed you to look at who's actually trying versus who just genuinely can't be bothered or worse than that wants yeah. to actively get worse which so i think that was kind of the three tiers of this offseason really you have obviously the padres but we were talking a little bit about the royals and they're actually trying to do some interesting things as we saw with the sal perez signing earlier today um so i think that it's just interesting to that we have teams who are trying there's some teams who just kind of hung out even you know i guess the angels would fall in there they filled out their rotation and but they didn't do anything interesting as they needed to uh and then you have, you know, the Rays, the Reds, just trying to get worse to make to save a few bucks. And those are the grim ones. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could copy paste what the Angels do, like that exact sentence for what the Angels do every single offseason. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they just sign spots to, to fill, I, I guess. We'll see if it, if it turns out. We'll see if they remain healthy and can get Mike Trout to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm like nominally an Angels fan, but that team just bumps me out so much. I I can't anymore. It's so it's it's so not fun to watch what they do to Mike Trout every year. And yet, and, and their their hope is that you will just see Mike Trout or Shohei Otani, which frankly, as a as a casual observer observer of the Angels fan, that that works for me. I'm yeah. like I got the push notification today that Otani was starting pitcher and leading off, and I was like. Cool. Guess I'm guess I'm rooting for the Angels for the next hour and a half. Or yeah, and I mean I can't imagine that anyone's not rooting for Shohei Otani to pull it off right now. Uh, right. Finally, do what we've been waiting to for what this is like the fourth year. Um, and I don't know. I it's hard to not just feel like everyone's trying to do the the Lucy with the football thing again because I feel like every single off season, you know, I've done it in the past. You know, I think this might be when the Angels finally pulled the right strings on the waiver wire and whatever else. But yeah. I mean, there were starters they could have signed and they got Alex Cobb and Dexter Fowler. Wow. wow. Well, when, <laughs> when you put, you it, put like it like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like, well, I was a big, uh, I was rooting for Garrett Cole to go to the Angels a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, that would have made sense. <laughs> it would have made a ton of sense. Um, obviously, he would have been able to enjoy the California weather. Uh, as he did in college and growing up. But uh, I really didn't want him to go to the Yankees because I'm a Mets fan. I really didn't want him to go to the Phillies because I'm a Mets fan. But alas, here he is with the Yankees and looking great today in spring training. So can't win them all. all, Yeah, by all accounts, he really wanted to be in New York. But I mean, I think that's what everyone says until they get that extra money. Yeah. (laughs) 
Exactly. Um, yeah, at, at at that level, I I want to be in whatever the whatever the city is that is going to pay me the most. That's yeah. you know, like <laughs> some people are like, no, I have I have no price. I you know, I was born and raised here. Like I would no, I will sell out in a in a heart, <laughs> heartbeat. When uh, when you both have that much money and just live live for baseball, kind of tuning your body and stuff, I. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the city in which you live would kind of get tuned out a lot, especially when you're on a plane, like a hundred days a year. Yeah. Yeah. And can kind of live anywhere you want in the off season too, like mm-hmm. during the cold months. So it doesn't really matter. Right. You can go off to a ranch like Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, exactly. And do Lord knows what to knock you out for the next season. Um, how did you become a nominal Angels fan? I'm curious about that. Are you from the area or did yeah. you just kind of pick up the squad? Yeah, so I grew up in Orange County. I was, you know, very young when they won the World Series, but I do I remember it. Um, and that was, you know, so I've always been a fan. And then, you know, I had always, you know, everyone has interest in Mike Trout, but he's such a fun player to watch. And I think that kind of got me back into the Angels. But it's just such a bummer to... You know, I I like watching games all over the league too, which is I think what I do more these days. Just kind of bounce around, watch the narratives. Um, but I think it you know it can definitely be a catalyst for that. That the Angels don't seem interested in trying, and even more so, do seem interested in failing in the same way every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I would I would respect it a little more if they were getting creative with their face plants. You know, if it was, but it's, it usually just ends up being some combination of, um, and it's hard to even like blame the GMs to a certain extent because right. you have no idea to watch your Artie Marino's fingers on the, on the, on the, on the dial. Right. Right. And, and also sometimes your entire rotations elbow just gives out and there and your season shot, right. Which yeah. feels like it's happened more than once. Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, Ginny. Well, your fingers are now on the dial of all of baseball. Uh, We are going to do the last installment of our season preview series, talking about what we change in the first 100 days if we were commissioner with um, several guests. Uh, You are our third and final guest, so I will turn the floor over to you and ask if you had carte blanche, magic wand to wave, what uh, would be the first thing that you would change as baseball commissioner? So I think that the problem, I, I mean, Many problems with MLB, but I think one of them comes down to the same one that we see on a team level, which is that a, in a lot of ways, it just doesn't seem that the league is trying to engage new fans, to broaden its appeals, to you know find a new generation and make baseball something that people don't have to feel uneasy about supporting in certain ways at a lot of times. And, you know, it, it seems, you know, that money's on the table and a lot of those things, but it seems that you see them issue money even in ways that they're you're like, well, this seems an obvious way to grow the game. They just don't do it. So I think that I would try to just focus on making baseball try harder to be a sport that people can like and engage with. I think the easiest way to do that is to make fans feel like their voices matter and what they like about the game matters. Uh, and I think just giving fans a voice in general is what I would want to do. Uh, I would want to implement at team level a actual standards for how they need to treat players fans have their stadiums and facilities all of those things that owners need to be accountable for and if they're not i think that they need to be there needs to be a way to remove owners other than just things deteriorating to such a significant point that everyone just kind of universally hates the ownership and is rooting for things to move on and and then at that point 
the Coens still make out with billions of dollars. Um, so I think that what I would want to do is have certain standards. You know, you have to have minor leaguers be not only paid, but you have to make sure that they're housed in not six people to a two bedroom apartment. You have to make sure that they're not eating the least amount of food possible. Uh, and ideally you're giving them, you know, trainers, fitness trainers, stuff like that. And I think teams are slowly coming to the realization now that we probably should have been doing this because this makes our players better and gives us a competitive advantage. But I, I think even aside from the fact of competitive advantage, it didn't have to be existing that way. And I just think that you need to have standards all the way across the board. You need to have a facility that fans and players like. You need to have integrity with how you sign players and uh, gather talent, especially on the international level. And I think that when you have scandals, such as the thing with the Astros, that, you know, that other than paying a $5 million fine, ownership didn't really see any ish, any, uh, any, reaction there and there needs to be responses to all sorts of those things so i think the you know it's baseball so i would like the idea of a three strikes you're out thing if you fail one of these standards three times then you're subject to be removed from your position as an owner and you know they're still going to make money selling the team but i don't think you gave me carte blanche to undo capitalism so <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that that's what i would like to do put it in a way that owners actually have to be accountable at multiple levels Alex, if we had carte blanche to undo capitalism, I think we uh, we would have given that power out a while ago. That's sort so. of like the thesis statement of this podcast. <laughs> I I love that that word accountable accountability because it feels like a foreign concept in 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 a lot of sports leagues, but baseball very I, I think that's very acutely felt um and you you know you mentioned kind of fans being uh you know if they see something going wrong with the team it's basically it's kind of stockholm syndrome ish a little bit right this this thing that i have poured my identity into that i have maybe forked over hundreds or possibly thousands of dollars for right it's i have i have no say in in where this is going i just have to it's like watching the titanic head for the iceberg and you're just sitting there waiting for it to happen. Um, and the, the idea of getting owners more involved in the process, right? And, and making them actually kind of face the music sometimes because that they are so often provided cover from that sort of thing. And the GMs will eat the shit or the managers will eat the shit. And it's, it's, really easy to make that sort of thing go away right we have, we've seen uh this just this past off season m multiple scandals on on teams uh with sexual misconduct assault etc and we and and then that's it the news broke and we kind of just trust the teams to to go their own way with it um you know, like what if we what if we make MLB go public and have to be accountable? You know, like like open up their documents. Let's see let's see the vault. I mean, Mickey Calloway is he still employed by the Angels? Did that did I miss that or is that he's still employed by the Angels? I believe and I believe um, and I mean that's as far as I can understand it. That's because Artie Marino doesn't want to potentially face a, a suit for the amount of money owed on Calloway's contract, where he can a hundred percent have to jettison all of it at the end of this review, but I, from everything, I mean, when you get a nickname like he got, I, I don't think that, 
I don't think that you're, I, I can't imagine that that's actually a risk that the, that Artie Marino is at of having to pay Mickey Calloway's contract. And, and if it is an MLB, you know, I mean, we know at least problems on a structural level, but if firing someone like that immediately is going to require you to pay him his contract out, then that's not great. <laughs> yeah. It says a lot about the contract and like what they're willing to take on. Yeah. Um, or even, I mean, you know, Kevin Mather, he's, He's, he's still he still has an ownership role in the Mariners. It's not as if he's going to not be seeing profit from all of the decisions that his team is probably still going to make. Right. I I want to ask a little bit about what you said with accountability to fans and and kind of what you imagine that to look like because that's something that we talk about a lot here is that ownership can make decisions and they're sort of insulated from what the fans do because they have they're they're always going to have like these regional TV contracts to fall back on and no matter what fans say or do anything other than like a straight boycott of the team is not going to reach the level of ownership to where they're going to start to make big changes and we come on here and we lament ticket prices being high despite the fact that it doesn't affect payroll all the time and I'm just curious as to when when you laid that out like what does that look like um, in terms of an accountability to the fan of an organization. Yeah, and I think that you could take it a couple different ways. For the first, you could just implement standards such in the terms of performance that if you know if your team loses if your team loses 90 games three years in a row and maybe there needs to be you know there needs to be some sort of thing there beyond getting rewarded for it. Uh, or if your stadium is a dump that everyone hates and uh, you know, repels fans rather than draws them in, then it's, you know, in some ways it's almost as if ownership is self, you know, is self-selecting, making these, getting these accountability on their own by not having any stadium fans in the stadiums for A's and race games, stuff like that. But they're still getting all their money through TV deals and they're still massively profitable teams. So I think that if fans aren't seeing any incentives to come to games, then I mean, if you can't fill stands, then at the very least, then others say you should be able to try to court your team to fill fans there. But I don't, you know, tearing a team away from fans because their ownership's not doing, not helping is also a kind of crappy solution. So it's hard in a lot of ways to come up with a way to actively punish owners. But I think that, I think the easiest way to do it is just to implement standards that if fans aren't you know, you ask fans how satisfied they are with experience at the games with the things, stuff like that. And if fans are consistently unhappy, especially if you have one team where everyone says, I don't like going to these games and 25 teams are great and four teams are in between, you can talk to those four teams, say, here's what other teams are doing that fans seem to like. And then that team at the bottom, you say, get it together now, or we're going to step in. And I think that, you know, this is, this requires a an owner, you know, an, a commissioner who, rather than working on ownership's behalf, works on baseball's behalf, which is kind of the opposite of what it is now. But I think that's definitely what you have to focus on if you're trying to be in charge of baseball and make it better, how to make it a bit better for everyone rather than the 30 people at the top. Yeah. And that's what I was getting ready to say, too, is that, you know, we've seen other commissioners in other sports with a myriad flaws as well. But someone like David Stern who was like a power broker on the NBA's behalf and like saw a vision for growing the game uh, at a larger international scale, making basketball as a sport, like more 
embedded in the culture of our country because it was lagging behind a lot of other sports like football and baseball. And now, like with Manfred, I feel like we're missing that a little bit. Like he doesn't really have, he has a very technocratic view on the game, both financially and also on field. Like he has a very technocratic approach to trying to fix what's going on on the field in, you know, pitch clocks, limiting pickoff, all these minor rule changes that we're tweaking, banning the shift, that kind of thing to speed the game up or make it more exciting. And in the hopes that that will fix the game in the end versus just like sort of what you're describing, Ginny, which is like a good faith bargain amongst fans and ownership side fans and the team side that allows fans to feel like they're being heard and have access to baseball. Yeah. And regarding what you say about kind of moving the sport forward and engaging a new generation, as you talked about with the NBA and stuff like, We've seen the consequences of MLB not investing in in younger uh, in younger players and especially the youth audience. I mean, you know, the way that baseball is set up that travel baseball is such an important part of development or is considered to be and feeds so directly into the talent pipeline. It has such of this such this trap where you need a, a lot of money. Essentially, you can't just you need the money to develop. And obviously, having money is always going to be an edge in development in any sport, but you see the ways that MLB exaggerates that. And in the same way that upgrading all the pay for the entire minor leagues would cost a tiny fraction of what the overall profits of the game are. And at a team level, investing in communities and helping especially disadvantaged communities get into the game more, I think is, it's such a no brainer that it seems like an insult. MLB's not doing it. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, the old adage, you have to spend money to make money. And that is a, that is a, you know, I'm a, I'm a business major, everyone. I know, <laughs> I know economics. I know the stock market. Um, that's a, that's a concept that seems foreign in baseball. Uh, it seems that owners are oftentimes much more interested in the, the short term gains, even though I, we, we had on Rob Maines uh, from Baseball Prospectus earlier this offseason. Uh, and he talked about, you know, the, it's not about cash flow for owners ultimately, right? It is about the team as a, an investment piece itself that appreciates in value, right? So the more you can do in that time in between when you buy the team and you sell the team to bump up the stock of that team, that would seem like, like you said, a, a no-brainer. Like it's it's low-hanging fruit to say, hey, how can I, how can I repair the relationship with fans or build a, a better ballpark that people actually want to go to or pay my minor leaguers, right? Like it's, I think it, it is so easy to build goodwill with fans. I don't think we ask for very much. I mean, on this show, on this episode, we ask for a lot, but <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm content with, you know, buying a $7 beer instead of a $15 beer, right? But I think that's just not a compromise that is, I don't know, ever going to happen? Not in not in the next decade or two. Yeah, and, and you know, not to say that any team's perfect, but with the Royals, how we, were ta- we talked about them just a minute, for a minute before, but I think the fact that they're actually investing in, you know, they they actually paid all their minor leaguers. They they're giving extensions to their veterans now that might 
probably that seem like they might outpace what the you know the market value as you'd say you know as you'd like to say like it's yeah what it is but they're doing this because they have faith in that bargain to some extent and you know obviously they're going to be complicit in a lot of the same issues the rest of the league is but the fact that they're doing this to even the degree they are is it's been so notable that you know, everyone's taken note of it across the league. It's it's been said to have influenced decisions of players who want to come there on minor league contracts, things of that nature. And that, you know, it's that you can't even really think of a team doing something comparable is it's very striking when you can think of about five teams doing the raise model and no one else doing this model. And it's not even about them building a contender or not. They're obviously not really there in their contention cycle right now, but rather than just blow everything up, they've they're sticking by people and sticking by, you know, if they, if you, if a system can be said to have values and or a club can be said to have values, they have them more than other teams or at least are intent on demonstrating them. And I think that that has value and has already demonstrated itself. Yeah. I, I always come back to this idea that the type of person who owns a baseball team is different even than the type of person who owns another sports franchise, like how different those people think, about the world because it feels like no matter the age or how long they've owned a baseball team it does feel a little bit like a the baseball owner is from this like old money old world vision where they're like well the thing that i own is always going to be valuable because like oil is still valuable and like steel is still val-. you know like they they have this view of of capitalism and how it works and they're like well this is just always gonna appreciate and value because we've like rigged the system in a way like we've these franchises there's only 30 of them and we have an antitrust exemption and we have you know laws that have been passed through congress that allow us to not pay minimum wage to our minor leaguers so like how could we ever lose so they're just slightly less incentivized than other sports owners to aggressively pursue making the best product because they haven't ever had to aggressively pursue making the best product Right. And I mean, in, in so many ways, like, I think if you're trying to make the best product at this point, you have more than 30 teams. I don't, I don't see why we're stuck on 30 teams for 20 years now. Um, and that seems like a minor thing, but it's hard to imagine a real reason for that other than MLB not wanting two more unknown entities among an ownership group. It's hard to corral, which yeah. that's not the motivation that it should be. It should be bringing baseball to as many people as possible, which... I mean, we know that that's not what MLB's after, with given the contraction of the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that really quickly then, because that's something that Alex and I have only talked about briefly when it comes up in the news about the idea of expansion. Expansion, but Ginny, it sounds like you think that there should be at least a couple teams added. Do you have like any kind of a vision or opinion for like where those teams should be or how many teams we should add and how quickly we should do it? Well, I believe that Nashville has kind of considered one of the leading candidates. I believe Dave Dombrowski was working with the expansion group there before he uh, signed on with the Phillies. And from what I understand, the the main reason that he was eventually coerced into signing with the Phillies is being told, you know, expansion is just not going to happen soon. Um, and, you know, soon is a relative term, but I'm, a, you know, definitely not something that's going to be on the table until... I'd imagine until we're well into the next CBA, probably. And I, the game is growing at such a significant extent. And, you know, other leagues have as many, have as many teams as 32. And especially if you're intent on expanding the playoffs, I mean, 16 of 30 teams is, and that definitely seems what ownership wants is a lot. You have to, I feel, you know, 
you have to at the very least get to 32 teams, but on a broader scale, it's just the game is growing and the United States is growing. I'm sure that the population of the country has to be up by about 20, 25% since expansion last happened 20 years ago. And I, especially with the game being such a regional game, I just don't see, I don't see the downside of not expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's wild looking at a map of baseball teams across the country, right? Because you have an entire swath throughout the kind of, I don't even know what you call that region, like west of the, or, or yeah, west of the Midwest, right? <laughs> and I mean, the solution as it is now is to just block all of those, all those teams anywhere close to them from viewing, being from watching the game on MLB TV, which exactly is exactly right. Yeah, the worst. I, I mean. I think that getting rid of the MLB TV exemptions is one of the most obvious things, but you could even, if you need to have the cable money that bad, you could at the very least just introduce a one team special where you can actually follow your local team rather than be blacked out of the games that so many fans want to see the most. Alex, where do you want to, where do you want to put an expansion team? Alex Baisley's team. You're the owner. Where are you putting it? Uh, should we bring a fourth one to Southern California just for the <laughs> just for the hell of it? Uh, well, like then the, the Inland of, Empire Oilers. Yeah, is that a thing? <laughs> that might be a thing. The uh, the people of Southern California won't be able to watch four teams at that point instead of just three. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I I do I can watch the Padres. I live in L.A., Jenny, and I can watch okay. the Padres. So that's yeah, that's I think great. I can too. Except except when they play the Dodgers in LA. So tough. Right. Like 19 times a year. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's such an obvious, and I think you're so right to point out that given that the owners want to expand the playoffs so badly and seem de- dead set on 16 teams, um, it just makes sense mathematically for 50% of teams getting in the playoffs to be the absolute ceiling. Like otherwise it's like, why are we, why are we awarding more than half of the teams in a league after playing such, such, such an, arduous long 162 game season which we always brag about with the other side of our mouth about how important it is that we play so many games in this league and it's so different from all other leagues and then we also want to put in more than half the teams it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense right and you know i i understand that this has been talked to death but i think it just bears repeating if you have half the teams getting in who cares about the regular season? Because they don't in other sports, right? Like, right. <laughs> I don't follow other sports very much, but I know especially the NBA is just no one pays attention until March anyway, right? Right. <laughs> and and especially in that league, like you can manipulate your matchup so well in the playoffs that it doesn't yeah. really matter whether you're whether you get that like one seed versus like a two or a three or a four seed because you know sixteen teams are making it in no matter what. Yeah, and um. And you have, you know, you have an example right now of a long stretch where the games just don't matter and it's spring training and no one cares about it. You know, you watch it for a day and a half and that's it. And, you know, for Rob Manfred seems to want people to think that he has a lot of respect for the game's integrity in some ways. But I think that the regular season is one of the most integral parts of MLB's history in that that was what mattered for, you know, up until. I think it was was it 1960 when they introduced uh, 1969. They introduced the 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 playoffs, and before that, it was an entire you know 
80-year stretch where it, what actually mattered was the regular season. And I think that going to a system where that just doesn't matter at all, which is, I think, where we're getting towards is hard. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it decreases the value of the regular season, but also the of the playoffs as well a little bit because you've you've lowered the bar in essence so if uh i don't know the texas rangers make it in yes. this coming year worst right? team in the league like, making it in let's go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or i don't know who's like a middle of the of the road team right now the like the, i don't know yeah the, <laughs> there you go <laughs> the los angeles theme. angels exactly yeah. if if we're watching them in October, like, I don't know. I feel like it, it kind of disincentivizes engagement. Maybe if, if only in like the first kind of round of playoffs. Um, but it feels like we're headed towards some sort of inevitability where we are having one of those teams luck into a championship, right? Yeah. Because, because baseball's playoff structure more than any other leagues, I think is based largely just on, on luck, right? A few good or bad bounces. And but like, I'm old enough to remember when we the wild card game was too fluky. Do you remember when owners were like, "Oh, yeah. the wild card game is too fluky." The Cardinals made it in, and then they just won the World Series off of it, and they course corrected on that by putting in two wild cards and making it harder to be the team that upsets in the first round. And now we're just like throwing that completely out the door and making the first round a three game series where the 110 win Dodgers might get an injury and lose to the 81 win giants in the first round. And then we have just a tire fire and we lost the best team who doesn't get to have like a dramatic exit in the NLCS or make it to the world series and come up short. Like, I just think that we're overcorrecting uh, for the sake of money, for the sake of a TV deal in the playoffs and for that revenue. I think that contrasting with expansion in a way is interesting because MLB is you you the owners all get money via the expansion fee for expansion and yeah. obviously they're getting more money from a, from a postseason deal and I think that they want one but not the other when the playoffs adds a lot of randomness to the sport in the obvious sense of making the playoffs less uh, likely to produce the best champion whereas the a new team adds randomness in different chance in it being someone that they can't corral as easily as the other owners might be, or at least having that, that factor. I think, yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, comparison for showing where their priorities are in terms of who benefits because fans don't care about an owner. Who's uh who's eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> no, as long as they I, I, yeah, I, I welcome that. Honestly, if it, if an owner wants to go against the grain, like by all means, hello Steve Cohen. Like step step right up. Wow, the the off season of Steve Cohen worship continues from you, Alex. <laughs> um, okay, so we we have kind of expanding uh, engagement uh, with with fans, more building more goodwill, kind of building in measures of accountability. Um, is there anything else, Ginny? That a uh, pie in the sky? You know, it doesn't doesn't does not necessarily have to work within the within the framework of baseball as it exists today. Although I know you have some of those as well that we'd like to hear. Um, but are there any other, any other moonshots you want to throw out there? I think I would like to see players have more control over their direction, which is not a novel thing, but I think that, I mean, the entire system needs an overhaul and we're seeing that more and more now with the way that free agency has kind of degraded and 
the way that the game's pay structure isn't compensating for that. But I think that the easy solution to that is to just make it so that, you know, you do want players to be with teams for their for a long time. I think that everyone's happy when that happens. And I think if you create a structure where teams are forced to be more accountable to their fans and have better, you know, better minor league experiences, players might be more likely to stick around anyways. But I think that the way to have players stick around longer is by both giving them control and giving them, making them happy, which is, you know, what we saw with players such as Fernando Tatis Jr. signing that long extension. I think, I think that you could easily shift the pay structure to be such that players are paid after the season rather than before, or more like more accurately, you could give players bonuses that actually reflect really great performances. Whereas Mm. right now you have the opposite where no incentives in a structure other than uh, in a contract, other than, uh, actual awards like Cy Young can be given for, uh, for, you know, performance, right? You can't have a contract that says if you get a 2.8 ERA, you get an extra million dollars. It has to be if you finish 30 games or something like that. Uh, yeah. And I think freeing up the contract structures to allow players to actually benefit from strong performances would be an easy way to do that. And obviously you're going to need a lot of safeguards that prevent it from going the other way. And, having players be taken advantage of with is how, you know, things like the qualifying offer have developed and basically ended up hurting players. Uh, but I think if I'm in charge, I suppose I can just make sure that there are enough safeguards in place that owners can't do that. But players need more control over the course of their careers for a lot of reasons. I mean, situations like Nolan Arenado's where he basically has to demand a trade to get out of uh, a dumpster fire of a situation, just they shouldn't happen in the first place on you know, on a myriad of levels, but one of them has to be that he shouldn't have to leverage a weird opt-out that most contracts aren't going to have, right? If Jeff Breidich doesn't push for Nolan Arenado to have an opt-out in his contract, then then where does him wanting a trade go? Do the Rockies just say, no, that's okay. We don't really care if you hate us. All of our fans do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think giving control is is a solution to that. That's such an interesting way of thinking about it too, because obviously we we've talked about pie in the sky versions. We've talked about sort of compromised versions too. And Alex and I have come on here many times and said, just blow up arbitration and, and team control entirely and then see what happens. Like you might have a more of a Fernando Tatis situation where they extend him very early on in his career because they're like, this is our guy. We never want him to wear a different Jersey. And if you apply that to something like Nolan Arenado, Maybe he gets that huge contract before his six years are up and he's now 23 with that contract and they're like, we don't want to trade him now because we have him for so many more years of his absolute best product productivity. Whereas they're, they're looking at his age 34 and 35 season and saying we have to, we have to punt way, way, way before that even gets um, close for teams because they won't want to trade for him or whatever. Um, but then also contrasting it with the, with your, I think very reasonable idea of, compensating players who are still under team control who just had incredible seasons because they don't they don't have that ability they have only have the ability to make the league minimum for their age and service time and then you know once they are arbitration eligible they can negotiate their contract before the season based on their statistics and history but like that's not really awarding them for going out and having a you know, Mookie Betts MVP season while he's still under contract arbitration making $20 million, which is way below his value. Yeah. And I think 
if you give players a chance, if you can actually make players make a system where players have reason to be happy with their team, then you can hopefully see the players stay with teams. But the current system where you have players hit free agency and, you know, it seems now every single year there's basically two or three teams that are in on all the top free agents anyways. And it just, the entire system, I think it goes back to what I was saying about teams not trying. If if you put incentives where if you're not trying, you actually stand to lose something, I think we'll put teams in a place where they want to actually make players happy, hopefully. And obviously you need to re, you know, re, uh, restructure the entire player control system. But I think if you only allowed, you know, players were moving around every single year had, you know, players were all like Octavio Dotel going around to every single team in the league as if, you know, checking off boxes. That's, it's fun in a way, but it, it's hard to have an identity with both your team or, uh, you know, a relationship with that player. So you want to actually create, you know, these long bonds, but the way that we're seeing them be formed now is obviously players are, you know, signing long, long extensions because they're benefiting them, but so many of them are just kind of, even when they're great, they're a little bit of a bummer in that you think we're never going to see that player hit free agency, which, you know, free agency has its problems, but if you create, if you create something where it's not just wholly focused on teams trying to dodge the bill as much as possible, then hopefully you get, you know, you get something that feels a little bit more fun, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we just, I think just this past week, we started, we hit the point of the season where teams started looking at their, their young, uh, either pre-arb or just pre-major contract stars and saying, okay, who can we lock them? Right. There was the, the, the White Sox started, you know, negotiating with Lucas Giolito. And uh, I don't remember who the other one was. It was Andrew Vaughn maybe or something like that. But point being like we have a, there's a whole system in place that basically says owners, owners are, are able to st- I mean, effectively kind of see the the future of a of a player and say, I can make this minimal investment up front, right? I can I can get him to sign it, you know, John John Singleton, for example, right? Like six years, one million dollars. And if that and if that doesn't pan out, that's fine because I recouped massive value on the other end from the contract that Jose Altuve signed or whatever, right? Um and and so I like the idea of giving players a little more autonomy and leverage um, in these situations of of saying, "Hey, like you, you didn't you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, right? When I signed this contract, you said we were going to compete, we were going to put the best pro- product on the field. That's no longer the case anymore. Let's see what the Cardinals have to offer." Right. And whether you want to actualize that by just in terms of saying making it easier or normalize the players saying, I want out of this team, or I think there's multiple ways to do it. But at the very least, if you get to the end of a season and another team set, you, you know, even if you're still under your years of team control, the it just is, it's very much the whole not this for me, but not for the thing. And that owners yeah. are ha- through the antitrust exemption get to say, well, this isn't a free market system it doesn't matter what you might get on the free market right now or what a player might, you know, what another team might want to pay for you right now. You just kind of get what we have. And I think the only way that you really solve that is by allowing players to be able to move around more. And I 
there's not really any way you do that without bulldozing the entire system. So I think it's almost hard to predict what it would look like, but it's the, you know, there's not that many industries where this is how it goes, especially for people at the very top of their profession, where you just kind of have to go with the cards that you're dealt. And it's, you know, even though it's at the very top of the scale, people making a lot of money, it's, it's a lottery system in a lot of ways. And you have to create something where it feels like less of a lottery and more like people basically just being compensated and paid according to their worth, which yeah doesn't seem that novel, but <laughs> a radical idea there. Yeah. And like the last thing I'll say about that too, is that it ties into your original, the thing that you originally wanted to change, which is owners building goodwill owners having this contract with fans and this accountability with fans where like they're trying to be the best that they can be. Cause you can't look at what owners do to young player, young talented players in suppressing their value and think that that is any form of competitive because they're losing those players in the long run because of it, because they feel slighted. And if they actually felt like they had to put a good team around a young star to keep that young star for the full six years that they lose them for, uh, then suddenly you get more teams building around their young stars rather than waiting for all of the young stars to be up in at the same time and to build a very, very good team on the cheap, such as like teams like the Astros have done. Right. And I think you're seeing more and more that it might not even work all the time. Are, are the Phillies going to put it together? I mean, when, when are we going to see the Tigers be good? Is that, is that happening? Yeah. And I think it's, when are the pirates going to be good is I guess a more existential question, but (laughs) I just don't think that you should, you should have the system where the best case is once in a generation of kind of comes together and that's how it feels like certain teams are playing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, Do you have any, any other um, directives that you want to get off your chest? They can be, big they can be small you can say no more hot dogs at stadiums because they are disgusting you can (laughs) i don't it's your your commissioner not me so (laughs) i think every team needs a mascot and it needs to be heavily featured like i think every team needs to have a mascot doing shenanigans um and it should be a cute one like i think you need like a stomper s like mr met needs i would say a redesign but i think a funeral might be better. Um, wow. And I think, wow. Is that, is that controversial? I, I don't, I don't I mean, deal. So, there's like I'm, a wife, there's a children, <laughs> there's like a grandpa met. Like what is, what is going on? What? I, I have a lot of questions there. And oh my gosh. Just a drive by of Mr. I, met I think, on the podcast. Wow. <laughs> I don't have any problem. Like stomper. I just see an, an elephant and I think that's amazing. And I think, yeah, uh, and less red, white, and blue uniforms. Also, change change oh. the colors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, so yeah. that feels like such an easy one, but you know, teams yeah. are as we've talked about a lot on this podcast. I, I want to see thinking. people on Reddit talking about you know, post a picture of a screenshot of a bunch of two hundred and forty pounds, six four men in like wearing pink shirts, jerseys, and talking about like the specification of men or whatever. Yeah, I really want to see that Reddit post. <laughs> I was uh I was watching like a spring training game the other day. I think it was like it was Cardinals Nationals and I g- genuinely at points throughout the broadcast was unsure which team was which. I was like, "Oh, Wander Wander Suero. I thought he 
I didn't know he was traded to the Cardinals. That's interesting. Oh, the oh the Cardinals are are hitting. Yeah. I got yeah. you. Okay, you know, like <laughs> and even when the teams like change up their looks, they it seems like they all break in the same direction. Like a couple of years ago, everyone was doing uh, royal blue. Yeah, like four teams right. at once started using royal blue, and it's like it's not it's not actually different if everyone's doing it. Do we? Are we starting a conspiracy theory that owners are in bed are in bed with big color? You know, like they're just trying to they're just trying to push the year's color on us. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say with big patriotism, but I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's <laughs> yeah. They straight up say that one. They're like, yeah. we'll fly the jets over and we'll say it on the the, the jumbotron. Um, okay, so redesign the team jerseys, expand to multiple new markets. Uh, more accountability for owners and front offices, and death to Mr. Met on the podcast. Ginny Searle, we, we have gotten all of your wonderful <laughs> ideas as commissioner. Thank Am you I so much. For that? No, I think that you're I think that you're fine. I think there's enough anti-Mr. <laughs> Met sentiment out there. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm an A's fan and Bobby's a Mets fan. So you might be in trouble with half of this podcast, <laughs> but the other half is very pleased. Okay, well, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I guess it's I won't okay. be invited back. Mr. Met, uh, I believe that Mr. Met spawned Mr. Red too, and Mr. Red is an affront to society. So it's okay. That's a good take. Um, I I, I kind of like Mr. Mr. Red. It's like bizarro world Mr. Met. You no, know? no, Mr. Red looks like Mr. Met drinking an IPA. <laughs> um, Jenny Searle, do you want to let the people know where they can find your writing, your work at Baseball Prospectus, all that good stuff? Follow you on uh, Twitter. Yeah, so I write for Baseball Prospectus, and you should definitely subscribe to Baseball Prospectus. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ginny Searle. I do not use it much, but maybe once the season starts. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Ginny. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you so much to Ginny Searle. Check out her writing and work over at Baseball Prospectus. Alex, time to open up the voicemails. 785-422-5881. You can call into this very podcast, complain about your owner. Uh, maybe you can call in and tell us that you think NFTs is going to save baseball. Yeah. Or or call in and say you think Mr. Met's family is perfectly normal. Like, you know, go off about it if you if you really feel strongly. I really had to resist the urge during that conversation to bring up the fact that um, Phoebe, who is my partner, thinks that you look like Mr. Met. Like you share a similar energy, you know. You share like a similar smile. Well, he's got a he's got a beautiful smile, so I think I think that's a I think that's a compliment. A love letter to Mister Met, the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, let's hit this line. Hey guys, my name's Noah, and I am a Red Sox fan. And I know we're kind of going through a rough patch right now, and that's my issue. Is the Red Sox have been the kings of signing the most debilitating future contracts in recent years. Big contracts like David Price, even Nathan Eovaldi, Pablo Sandoval, I don't even want to get started on. And there's just no future sight with the team. Like, Pablo Sandoval was great, but he wasn't worth that much money, I don't think, at least. And look at what it's done to the team now. And... I'm just really sad that I thought this team was going to be good for a lot of years. And because of poor financial planning, the team is now struggling to be 500. Thanks, guys. Love the show. 
Uh, Alex, can I take a stab at this one first? Please. Noah, thank you for calling into the show. Uh, I'm very sorry about your team trading away Mookie Betts. That one's tough. Uh, my condolences to you. I want to say, it's not every day that we get someone calling in and being like, my team gave out too many good contracts. Like Most of the time, it's like my team's traded away the young star and didn't give out the big contracts. So it's interesting to take a stab at this one. But I do want to say, most of those contracts that Noah outlined, David Price, uh, Eovaldi, Pablo Sandoval, they're the type of contracts that crop up and end up being bad contracts because this is the way that owners set it up, right? These are guys who created a ton of surplus value on their rookie deals, on their team control years. And then when they hit the free agent market, they were like, hey, I got to get paid. And the Red Sox wanted to keep them around because they wanted to keep the team good and they wanted to run a real franchise. Like, what a concept, wanting to have one of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball be really competitive in a big market. So they kept them around at very high value, like Noah is saying. And then it turned out that those guys either fell off the cliff in the case of Pablo Sandoval or had a couple bad injuries and started to look like overpriced contracts in the case of David Price. Or Eovaldi is a different case because he was sort of a World Series hero who they gave a you know hometown deal, rewarded him for helping them win the World Series in 2018. And he's been injured since then. And we've yet to see what the rest of that contract is going to play out like. But I don't... It's tough because like fans might want to blame the players because they've been conditioned to blame the players. Like They're the ones out there not performing up to the contract. But this is the way that ownership has structured it. So there's nothing else for them to do. And there's nothing else for the owners to even do. Like If they want to retain these very talented baseball players that they acquired through one way or another, then they have to, quote-unquote, overpay for the back half of their career because they so drastically and aggressively, intentionally, systematically underpaid for the first half of their career. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And you're absolutely spot on. And and the the interesting kind of, I guess, twist of this is that owners understand that they are doing this, right? They yeah. understand mm-hmm. that this is the way that the system is set up. And so oftentimes when you see contracts like these turn sour, which I want to point out, you only hear fans bringing these sort of things up when the contracts don't pan out, right? If, the, if David Price never gets injured and... This is the same guy that he was in Toronto. Right, exactly. And then the contract is great. Then I, you know, do does, do the Red Sox get credit for that? I don't, you know, I don't know. But point being that the, I think owners understand that this is the, the situation that they're in. This is what they, they have to do. And so it, there is a bit of irony that when a contract doesn't pan out, the owners say, oh, you know, we're we're so bogged down by these by these, you know, contracts, our hands are tied. We can't do anything. Sorry, we can't sign Mookie Bascals. We don't have any money. Yeah. And, you know, because because these contracts didn't pan out or whatever. And it's like, you knew what you were signing up for at the from the outset of this, right? You understand that's that's how these things work. You sign a a pitcher in his early 30s, and you know that he's probably past his and that you're going to get some sort of reduced version of that. Is it a risk? Absolutely. But also, you know, this is, it wouldn't be a, a business in capitalism if there weren't a little risk involved. You know what I'm saying? It's also risk that they rigged. 
Like right. that's what Ex- I'm saying. They yeah, rigged yeah, yeah. it to Ex- be this exactly. way. They exactly. had their own little sandbox where they could create any financial economic market that they wanted to and this is the one that they created they came up with the idea of team control they came up with arbitration they figured all this shit out this is what they wanted so like i i find it very disingenuous for owners and therefore uh for owners to complain about this number one and number two which the red sox owners did and that's how they ended up trading away mookie bets and then number two to then pass that burden onto fans and have them feel like their team is cash strapped and running into a dead end because I don't think Noah is coming here to say like screw David Price he fucked us like I think he's coming here to say like this long contract for a guy who's that late in his into his career is genuinely us not paying for the best years of his career and we're forced to do that because that is the leverage that David Price had based on the fact that he was so underpaid for the first half of his career and but but then at the same time Owners don't actually want to build sustainably. Like they don't want to build a medium to high price team full of young players who are good getting paid accurately. Because then they find they would find it very hard to get rid of those players when they're 25 or 26 or 27 when they're at their peak because like fans would be like what the hell? Like yeah, they're high paid, but like they're worth it. But now yeah. like they can put the burden on David Price to be like he's so high paid and he hasn't started the game for us in a year because he was injured. Like then right. it becomes a very easy PR win for them. Yeah, and David Price just becomes a a piece in a trade, right? He he is essentially reduced to his salary his, number. His yeah, his salary number, his contract. So you know, and and none of that absolves the I think the way that the Red Sox have handled their finances over the last few years, which I just, you know, objectively not done great like if you're in a position where you can make whether in good faith or bad faith the argument that you can't afford mookie bets then i i don't know you fucked up you need to look inward there yeah well the final thing i'll say about the red sox then we've spent a little too much time on this question but it's okay because it's a really interesting one um the final thing i'll say about the red sox is that they 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 have the money to endure this poor financial planning like that's what the dodgers did they ate a bunch of big contracts in order to continue to build sustainably. And the Red Sox just chose not to do that. The Dodgers ate the Ethier contracts. They ate the the Adrian Gonzalez contract. They ate they ate the Matt Kemp contract. Like there's a there's a whole handful of contracts that the Dodgers were willing to get just sell out because they're the fucking Dodgers. They have the money. And John Henry has the money. Like they could yeah. they could have easily eaten these contracts and still built relatively sustainably. And maybe that's what they'll do in the coming years, but all I know is it will unfortunately be without Mookie Bats. Tough beat. Noah, thank you for calling in. I'm like the water when your ship rolled in that night. Next week is the last podcast that we have before the season starts. So I think that we will probably be be doing the fourth fourth annual Tipping yeah. Pitches All Gift Draft. This will be the second one that we've done with friends of the show. Um, but We'll obviously be updating listeners more on Twitter as to when that is going to come out. I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, anything else to leave the people with this week? I don't think so. But um, to you know, to the to the listeners out there, the fans out there, um, be on the lookout for uh, biometric entry to ballparks because that's that's something they're piloting. They are doing that, so. I can't wait to give Major League Baseball my <laughs> fingerprints in order to be able to watch the A's lose six to two. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, Jacob DeGrom's on the mound today. Time to have my eye scanned so I could get into the ballpark. Very cool. Very fun. Very normal society. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!